Support for this podcast comes from Synchrony Financial. Allow homeowners to pay at a rate that fits their budget with a merchant fee that fits yours. Visit www.toolbox.mysynchrony.com for more information. Getting the plan in place for the year is critical. There's a lot of longer term things um, that take strategic planning as well. And they may not be something that we talk about a lot. One of them is cash management, investments, um, you know, that also building uh, what you're doing to, you know, with your building long term or where your facilities are. Um, also, I think people management and, and looking at that next hire for key management or leadership is also critical for these larger companies. In the current environment in which we're at, I think financing is going to get tough and having a solution uh, for those that might want to do business with you but can't get financing, I think, is a, is a critical thing. So it's it's really kind of more that long term, how do we execute and keep our strengths? What are our weaknesses and the things that we need to continue to prove upon? Are there any opportunities in the market today? And uh, what are the threats and how do I minimize anything that I might be exposed to? Welcome to the Successful Contractor Podcast, powered by Success Group International, a show for residential contractors about residential contractors. We chronicle business journeys, share insights, and celebrate successes in this wonderful industry. I'm your host, Bob Houchin. Hey there, podcast listeners. I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with the president of Success Group International, Rebecca Castle. At our last expo that SGI hosted several months ago, Rebecca gave a presentation, along with Jimmy Dale, president of Baker Brothers in Dallas, on operational excellence for large residential service businesses. These are companies where the owner has a general manager and senior leadership in place. So depending upon the trade, that means a company is generating around $20 million annually or so. The session was a hit. For three hours, Rebecca and Jimmy, two individuals who've run gigantic operations, provided incredible insight. During that presentation, our contractor members had a chance to ask an array of questions. Many were answered that day, but we ran out of time for some of the others. Believe it or not, after three hours, we still ran out of time. So I decided to interview Rebecca and ask her some of these questions that were exceptional so she could address them and you, the listener, could benefit. Now, I know a small percentage of contractors achieve that $20 million mark, but even if you're listening and you're not quite there yet, Rebecca offered a host of great information in this interview on how to manage your managers, refine your operations, improve your call center, and lead your team into the future. I'm confident you'll take away at least a nugget or two. So please enjoy. Rebecca, thank you so very, very much uh, for coming on the show today. Um, oh, real quick, for, for those who might be tuning in for the first time, could you please share uh, your name and your role with SGI? Sure. Thanks so much for having me, Bob. My name is Rebecca Castle, and I'm the president and managing member of Success Group International. Very good. Very good. I'm super excited to have you on. Um, today, we're talking about, um, really, it, it relates to a presentation you gave with uh, Jimmy Dale of Baker Brothers in the Dallas area uh, about operational excellence for large residential service contractors. It was a presentation given at our, our last expo. And and we say large uh, contractors. We're talking roughly twenty million or more, where the owner has a general manager, general manager, excuse me, a leadership team, and some middle management. And it was really good. It was really two two great hours of content. And uh, for SGI members listening, you can watch that entire two hours uh, on your SGI internal website, the hub, right now. And for those outside of the group listening. 
videos like that are, are just another perk of membership. I think we have something like a thousand videos on our, our hub right now. So, um, Rebecca, you and Jimmy broke down that presentation into some major themes that I thought were interesting. You know, these are parts of the business you must master uh, as the owner and leader of a large operation. And they were uh, guiding the vision, strategic planning, consistent communication, uh, prioritizing leadership, daily attention to detail. And then, of course, marketing, keeping it simple yet strategic. I, I, you know, real quick before I, I move on, is there any one of those that you find larger companies, you know, this $20 million or so struggle at that maybe aren't as as profitable as they need to be? Is, is it one of these key areas that, you know, they're, they, they, they don't have quite honed in? I think probably the one that I think any business struggles with, regardless of the size, is the strategic planning part of it. You know, I I think a lot of larger contractors have their foundation, their vision and what they're building in place. And they probably do a pretty good job, you know, kind of prioritizing their their leadership and the attention to detail because you can't be that big unless you have daily attention to detail and marketing. But the ongoing strategic planning and the long term, uh, exactly how we're going to get their piece of it, their roadmap, so to speak, is the one that I constantly find that might be lacking uh, in a business. I teach a class annually on strategic planning, and it's always amazing to me that we don't spend enough time setting aside the strategic planning uh, days in our company. And so one of my biggest suggestions to contractors is once a quarter, sit down with your leadership team, your management team, and and do what's called a strategy day. That's a a day where you only focus on the strategy of the business, Um, Mm -hmm. the strengths, the weaknesses, the opportunities, what are the threats? How are we doing against our budget? Are we going to be achieving uh, what we need to be achieving this year? Really measuring performance and then planning on what needs to happen in the next quarter to continue to execute on the vision. That's great. And I think, you know, uh, companies like this, you know, that jump out to me that because they're investors as well, Milestone, Baker Brothers, they do a great job of communicating that plan to their team and building and kind of, I feel like everyone knows where they're going. They have quarterly themes, Baker Brothers in particular. How valuable is that to buy, to get your a company of that size, be able to get them to buy into what, what you're doing and where you're going? So the vision and getting our teams to buy into everything that we're doing is probably one of the most important things that you can do. One of the things I always share with our members is that the people who are going out and providing the service, who are taking care of the customer, who are really the lifeline and the lifeblood of our company, have to believe in and have to be aligned with what we're trying to accomplish. No software can do that. No piece of equipment can do that. um, No report can do that. It's the people who are our machine. In this business, yes, we do provide products. Yes, we we fix things, but it's up to the team that's going out in the field, who's answering the phone, who's dispatching our team to make sure that they understand what we're doing and that they believe in it and that they buy into it. And so that consistent communication yeah. is huge for culture. It's huge if you want to continue to grow. And it's huge to make sure that you're retaining the people that you're going to need to be able to continue that growth in your marketplace. Right, right. So, this, I mean, this was this just great stuff that you and Jimmy were sharing. I know uh, members were wearing their arms out taking notes. But uh, but at the end of that presentation, and you, you shared some of that and a lot more, uh, we intentionally allowed for a lot of, of Q&A because everyone has 
you know, certain questions that maybe just pertain to, to their situation. And, and we, we fashioned it in a way where they could submit the questions at a break so they didn't have to stand up and, and they could feel comfortable being honest in their questions. And a lot of those questions we were able to answer, and there were some that were not. And that's kind of the point of, of today in, in this interview is just to kind of address some of those questions, because if there were large operators that that had this particular question, that maybe there were others that would as well. So um, I kind of I look at this like those old time radio shows where you'd call in and ask the, the mechanical expert or something. But in this case, a business expert um, in our contracting field. So uh, I, I broke these questions out. Um, not all of them uh, pertain to one another, but I, I kind of classified them into uh, subsets. So we have like call center questions, planning questions, and so on and so forth. And uh, if you're ready for it, I'd like to just kind of dig into, into what some of our members ask. Sounds good. Let's go. Awesome. All right. First things first, call center. Um, one of our members asked, what should expectations of the call center and your CSRs be? So I think this is one that sometimes gets overlooked. It is probably one of the most important areas of the business because without a call, uh, we have no revenue. We have no ability to serve a customer and, and generate revenue and profit for the business. And so the expectation for our, our CCRs and our call center, and, and, and in a larger company, a call center is typically separated from their, their dispatching area. So um, in a large, large organization, we've got numerous people answering the phone and their primary job is to be that first impression to the customer, that first impression uh, to our company, but then to also book the call. So we need uh, a high level of performance out of those who are answering the phone to take care of the needs of the customer, empathize, and then be able to book service calls uh, and installation and leads for us uh, as, a, as a CCR. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How, many, how many calls do you need to book a day? I've heard of this, you know, this idea of overbooking because you're going to plan for a certain number to cancel. Um, is is that something you believe in? And if so, what is what is the number exactly that that you could you know that you want to be able to book, but not book too many, right? You don't want to have too many upset people. So, how do you manage that? So, one of the things that's so key in in really knowing how to book for your manpower is really knowing all your KPIs. Mm-hmm. So, if I don't have a high cancellation rate, and I know that we do a really good job ensuring that we're going to be able to get out to the customer and be able to serve that customer that day, then I don't really need to overbook. Um, if I do have a higher abandonment rate or cancellation rates, um, then I'm going to probably have to overbook. And so it's, it's very, very much important to know exactly those numbers. So you'll need to know how many calls with my booking percentage, uh, how many calls get abandoned, how many calls cancel, and you need to understand those ratios on an ongoing basis so that you can. And so it, there, it, there is this demand and we are a weather enhanced business. So understanding when those types of KPIs change based upon our weather enhancement right. and then based upon the number of, of technicians that you have. Um, so there's no magic number for every single contractor. It really depends upon how well are you managing uh, getting out to the customer and getting there quickly because that that drives cancellations, especially when the, the demand and the weather enhancement happens. If you've got, you know, 50 technicians and all of a sudden it's it's hot or cold outside, obviously the demand is going to go up. And if you can't figure out how to get to people quickly, yeah, that cancellation rate is going to be higher. 
However, on a normal basis, maybe you figured out how to flex people and how to schedule people out and how to be efficient with your dispatching and and where to send people. And so maybe your cancellation rate is lower. So it really all depends upon how you're measuring your KPIs for your call center, how many technicians that you have, what the demand cycle is and what's going on in your marketplace and being able to really respond to that in real time. This is not a call center question, but it is a follow-up. You mentioned man, managing your manpower, and uh, that is something I, I, I seem to, to see and hear more and more about. Uh, people are getting kind of uh, inventive with how they structure people's work days, work weeks, really. I've heard more and more four-day work weeks. Is there anything that you've heard that that's, seems to work well, especially like on the HVAC side when guys are – it's very easy to burn people out. Um, or, you know, any of, the, any of our industries, there's, there's times we just get busier than others. Uh, is there an ideal way to, to try and manage people's time so you don't just kill them and, gr- you know, grind them out and then they leave you, right? And then you're, 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 you're left looking for more people. So um, is there anything you've heard that, that seems to work well? Well, this is one of the biggest challenges in the industry is, you know, most technicians don't really want to be on call. You know, when demand season hits, a lot of them get uh, super stressed with with the number of calls and and leads and things that they have to go on. And one of our jobs as managers and leaders is to try to make the call volume as consistent as possible. And that's really hard to do sure. uh, just because we can't predict the weather. Mm-hmm. But I've heard uh, very you know varying ways to schedule. Um, and in my experience, in my you know the last twenty years, we've tried everything you possibly to try. Um, <laughs> Tried the four-day work week. We've tried not scheduling on Saturday and Sunday. We've scheduled Saturday and Sunday as a full schedule, uh, to, you know, and trying to even out kind of what what happens on a Monday after a weekend. And really what it comes down to is what your co- company culture is and the expectation that you've set with that technician coming in the door. If you've said we run nights and weekends and, you know, we'll, we'll make sure that we're staffed properly so that you're not having an extreme amount of overtime, as best as we possibly can, but there is an expectation of overtime. Well, you've set that expectation. I know a company here in Dallas, they they do not schedule anything on Saturday and Sundays. They do not want run weekend calls. Um, that's a decision they made based upon uh, the information and the feedback that they got from their technicians. And are they making it work? They are. I have another client who says we schedule uh, up till nine or 10 o'clock at night. And we have technicians who's, uh, are, who are willing to do that because of the way that their spouses work and the shifts that they're, they're working. And so I think it really depends upon the, the size uh, market you're in, the number of technicians that you have, uh, what culturally you can, you can do and the expectations that you can set. Right. Um, I have heard of a four-day work week, meaning yeah. 10 days or 10 hours on, four days a week and a little overtime. I've heard that that's working. I've heard staggered shifts. So it, I think it it, it really boils down to uh, the expectation that you set, the culture that you have, the vision that you've laid out, and the buy-in that you've gotten your team mm-hmm. uh, uh, to buy into along the way. Yep. So it's no one size fits all. You just have to find out. It, it really isn't. It really isn't. And um, you'll have some, you know, I've heard one contractor say, hey, this worked the best. And I heard everyone say, well, no, that, that didn't work for us. We do this, right? Yeah. Um, the key is, you said it, we have to make sure that we're not burning out our people. There has to be balance. Um, we have to protect the the individual and ensuring that our over, you know, our turnover isn't constant as a result of burning people out. And, you know, if you come into this industry and you understand there are going to be months 
uh, in weeks that are way busier than others. And that's because we are weather enhanced. And so if if they understand that coming into your company, say, hey, you know, June, July and August is going to really, really be tough. Yeah. But hey, we're going to probably be slower in January, February or March. So it just kind of all evens out. But like you said, you set that expectation. So it's not these people aren't surprised, especially because we talk so much about bringing in green people in the industry. So they don't know that they're going to be, I mean, they could probably assume they'll be busy in the summer because of, of the air conditioning needs or whatever, but, but they don't know that it could be 80 hour weeks or whatever. But if you set the expectation well in advance and, and I guess what remind them week by week, Hey, it's, we're, it's getting closer, get ready, that kind of thing. I think that probably helps uh, soothe it a bit. So people aren't as, as irritated. They're, they're, they're prepared for it. And that, that comes back to that consistent communication. Mm-hmm. And and really just, you know, the, the overlay communicating and, and looking, you know, if, if you're in a market where there are extreme uh, temperatures, uh, right. especially like in Texas, you know, it gets very, very hot. You can see the predictions of what the weather is going to be. That's the time to rally the team, have a huddle and say, hey, guys, it's, it's going to be 110 degrees for the next seven days, at least. And so this is. This is our time to shine. This is our time to serve the customer. This is our time to be essential. And I think right now that has a, a resonancy with people because we are we are an essential service and right. we have the opportunity to continue to work. And we, we're very privileged and very blessed to be in an industry where we can stay busy and where we can actually continue to work in this, this crazy time. Right. You know, and, and I think... Um, more than, you know, the expectation is a big part, but I, I think uh, talking about culture that you mentioned earlier and, and establishing culture in, in bringing the, um, I know a lot of our members that that will have big events where they invite the family and they send newsletters to, to the family and they, they try to bring the family in and, and they do that because they, they want them to feel welcome, but they also then it helps them when be more, that spouse be more understanding when when Joe or Jane has to work long hours in those peak seasons, they go, we well, you know what? That's just the, the spouse understands because they feel there's some buy in there. Do you feel, do you feel you agree with that as well? Absolutely. Um, the more that you get a, a support at home in this particular industry, uh, the better. And so uh, not only do I know uh, members who uh, do events with, with family members or spouses or partners or, or whoever they're, they're living with at home. And of course, this is pre-COVID. Um, I know that there's newsletters that are going out to family members. I know that there's events and opportunities for family members to participate. And uh, you, I know company events have been opened up. And I think all of those things help uh, whoever is your support system at home realize that, hey, yeah, this is going to be a tough this is going to be a tough couple of weeks, but hey, we're here together. We're a family. We support each other and we're going to get through this kind of tough time. But this is also the opportunity uh, for incomes to be able to be made and bonuses and, and additional uh, compensation opportunities typically. And so, uh, you know, having that understanding of not only what what our industry demands, but what the opportunities are, I think really, really helps the support at home. Yep. So setting expectations and creating buy-in across the family, for sure. I'm um, sorry. Yeah, we kind of, I kind of veered there, but uh, that's kind of the point of, the, of this particular interview. So if there's a, a topic that that's worth digging into, I want to do so. Um, and kind of putting a bow on the call center end of it. 
this was more of an old school thing that we talked about back in the day, but the idea of a field to office ratio, um, does everyone in, in the office get lumped into that? Is that still a, a, something that you feel like you need to monitor now the field to office ratio? What's your take on that, Rebecca? Yeah, absolutely. Our financial model that we give each of our SGI members, and it's different by trade, um, basically allocates a certain amount for anybody who is not in the field. And in the field, and in kind of our terminology, would be a technician, an installer, uh, and a salesperson, a comfort advisor, a roofing specialist, you know, somebody who's out there in the field selling. And so we we allocate all of those dollars up into our gross margin. And what what the office is, anybody who's in management, anybody who's supervising, call taking, dispatching, accounting. And as you scale, you're going to have things like HR and you might have IT. And so all of those uh, kind of in the office ratios uh, kind of change a bit as you scale. And so we just allocate a percentage. We basically say on our financial model, you can get you can have 10 percent of your revenue allocated to anybody who's in the office. And so the field to office ratio changes a little bit as you scale, but we're still trying to hit certain KPIs to make sure that we don't have too many people in the office compared to the revenue that we're bringing in the door. Right, right, very good, very good. Um, you mentioned earlier when we first started talking, the big thing that even a big big companies struggle with is is being better at, at, at planning. And that's kind of what I wanted to, to ask some questions about planning. So um, in, in building a, a strategic plan for you know large company or any any company for that matter, how much influence do you give your leadership team in creating that strategic plan for the new year? So if I have five or six upper level managers, um, how much influence do they have? So I would involve anybody who is managing. I mean, typically in a company, you'll have an executive management team and you might have an extended leadership team. So it really depends on the size of the company. But anybody who is responsible for KPIs, for P&L, or any expense or any revenue in the company, I would have them involved in creating uh, the plan for a new year. Uh, Any time you can get alignment and input, uh, so much better than trying to do it all alone at the top by yourself. And you definitely want your team to own it. And the ownership comes with uh, being a part of it and then developing it. So I would involve especially, you know, an executive team. And then if you are a very, very large uh, company, you probably have an extended leadership team of people who are managing and responsible for things on the P&L. Yeah. And if they're a part of putting that plan together and having input, asking questions uh, and providing uh, their thoughts and ideas, they'll be much more buy-in and ownership in executing that plan. Are there, oper- are there, are there instances where, you know, say they bring to you or they say, hey, I think we, we've got to, I think we can exceed the goal by this. Like we need to push it to this. And I think we can, we can hit all these big objectives and you're like, whoa, you know, I, I, I love to see the, the vigor, but I don't want you to kill your team to try and do that. I mean, is there is that something you have to be cognizant of as a as a as the leader of the business? And 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 while you love the the aggression and the added the positive attitude, you have to worry about what that would mean throughout the business, right? You, there's a, such a thing as growing too fast, right? There is, and it's so much better to have planned growth versus what I call chaotic growth. Um, sometimes we just get lucky, or we have opportunities, and that happens, and then you adjust. Uh, if as much as possible, if we can plan, I I always 
share with my team and my years of, of managing contracting businesses, look, I want us to be aggressive. I want us to be excited. I want us to be ambitious. Um, but I also want us to be realistic. And so I've always subscribed to our goals need to be very smart. They need to be very specific. They need to be measurable. Um, they need to be attainable though, because we don't want to set our teams up for failure and we don't want to set our teams up for not achieving the goal. Every goal that we achieve, there is a sense of accomplishment. There's an excitement about it and there's a celebration that can happen. And if we've, we've got every goal uh, too ambitious or too aggressive, then we probably need to dial it back in because we want our teams to win. So they need to be realistic. And then the last piece of that smart uh, analogy is timely. You know, they need to be timely and they need to be something that we can do right now. It's great to have long-term goals and it's fine to have a couple of BHAG goals, but the majority of the ones that are going to drive your strategic plan, the ones that are going to be executable, they need to be smart, specific, yep. measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. I like it. I like it. Um, earlier, you talked about having, you know, four, you know, quarterly, essentially, uh, strategic meetings with your uh, with your executive team to discuss where the business is going and a plan. But how frequently should that team get together? Um, beyond those those quarterly meetings to discuss where the progress is so you can catch if things are starting to slip or or just kind of keep people, um, you know, kind of keep your feet to the fire a little bit. I, that's not the best way to put it, but just to make sure everyone is doing what they need to be doing. How frequently do you get together with or should people get together with their, their senior level management team? Well, this business is a daily very, very daily discipline of business. And so our reporting is driven daily. Our KPIs are driven daily. I mean, some some companies can even get their KPIs down to the hour, to the job, to the technician, you know, depending upon how sophisticated your software is. But at the minimum, I have always believed that you need to get together as a management team uh, at least once a week to have a huddle, to talk about what's going well, what's not going well, what needs to get done, what's not getting done, to set priorities, to set, you know, who's going to be doing what. Mm-hmm. Um, I know of other companies, though, that they they do a more extended hour long kind of executive or management meeting a week. But then they're doing what's called a daily huddle, which is about 15 minutes of the management team getting together and again, getting together via Zoom or getting together, right. you know, face to face, depending upon what's going on in the world, is very important just to talk about any major things. And but it's very quick. It's it's not, you know, meetings have got to be very specific. They've got to be planned out, or else they just can be a complete time waste. And and so it's very important. But at least once a week, if not more frequently, just to get a huddle together uh, on some of the you know, some of the things of what, what needs to happen today. Cause today is, you're always looking at what happened yesterday. You're looking at what's going on the board today and what do we have for tomorrow? And it's, it's constantly those three things in this business. Yeah. Um, the numbers speak for themselves. So if there's a certain KPI that's off and you're talking about it in those, those meetings, Hey, it's easy to see if that improves. Right. But I know absolutely there's, there's certain objectives in, 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 changes and improvements that need to happen in business constantly. Um, and when those are set in meetings like that, I, you know, how, how do you kind of keep people accountable to achieving those? Or that you just discuss those first thing in your, in that, in that weekly meeting or in that huddle, Hey, where are we on this or that? Or, or if you have to worry about that, maybe you have the wrong senior level managers. What, what, what's your, what's your thoughts on that? 
So your strategy meetings quarterly set a lot of the priorities and the things that need to get done. And then your weekly management meetings are to ensure that those things are moving forward. And you're right. They should be assigned to somebody or a, a, a group of people. And then someone needs to be the checker. Um, and I, I've seen the checker be several different people. I've seen it be the general manager. However, I've seen it be an assistant to the general manager of this person. They come to every meeting. They take all the notes. They ensure that things are followed up on. They uh, also communicate uh, with management when things aren't you know, getting done timely. They uh, you know, uh, pass out all the notes after the meeting. And so they, they really do a great job of kind of being the checker to kind of keep everyone on track. The worst thing that you can do is say, hey, these are the seven things that we need to get done this next quarter. And then no one tracks it. No one follows up with it. No one talks about it. And then the next quarter comes along and you go, what were those seven things? Right. right. So it's, it's really key yeah. that you have a, a system and a follow through for the objectives and the action items that come out of every single meeting. And someone needs to be responsible to track those and to keep up with them and to continue to keep them at forefront. So that that's a big that's a big part of the execution of, of any management team. And then I think you asked about, um, you know, if there's any senior level management that aren't aren't performing at the level, right? Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. Just if, if it feels like you've got someone that you're constantly having to say, "Hey, where's that? Where is that? Where is that?" You, you kind of, I feel like you probably have the wrong person on the boss. I just I just harken back to conversations I've had with Gus in the past where he goes, "The best managers are the ones who are like, wow, yeah, you probably could do a better job than I would at that position." So. They're just the go-getters. And I just kind of want to see what your thought was on that. Yes. And I, I think this is one of the biggest challenges in the strategic planning for contractors is that they're reacting and hiring people and putting them in place as managers versus developing them and identifying them along the way. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, we get desperate, we grow fast and we go, oh, I need a manager. Oh, you know what? This person is a, a good technician or this person is a good salesperson so therefore, you should now be the manager. And it's probably one of the biggest mistakes that we make uh, in, in just putting people in that role. So I, I think when you've got someone who's not performing well as a manager, you have to go back to yourself. And I, There's several questions I always ask myself when I'm trying to coach someone to a better performance standard. One is, have I clearly explained the expectation? Does this person truly understand what they're responsible or have I, you know, given them everything that I can in training? They, do they have the tools that they need to be able to do the job? Do they need anything additionally that I haven't done? When they are not doing the job well, am I addressing it immediately? And this, this is the way that most managers don't do. They don't actually um, address the concern at the time. They let it kind of build up and build up and then. They might address it and it's not timely feedback. They have to get timely feedback. And on that timely feedback needs to be coaching. Right. If you're having to address the same things over and over again, um, then there has to be what I kind of call the, the, the come to Jesus meeting, which is, <laughs> hey, I really care about you. I want you to be successful here. You understand the job. I've trained you. I've taught to you about things that need to have. You have all the tools here to be successful. So what's going on? Do you want to be here? Do you like your job? Do you enjoy doing what you're doing? And typically people say, yeah, I like my job. Okay, well, we can't keep addressing these things again. You know, I, I, I've done everything I can do as a manager to help you be successful. 
So the next time I need to see constant improvement in the next two to three weeks or 90 days or whatever the time frame is. And if I don't start to see that, the next conversation that we're going to have when we sit down is this is not the right place for you. And we're going to have to make a change here. And I don't want to have that conversation because I care about you, but I also have to do what's right for the company. Is that clear? Do you understand? Mm -hmm. Yep. I get it. Well, if the, the performance continues to happen, I feel like as a manager, I, I can sleep at night knowing that I set the expectations. I trained the person. I gave them all the tools. I gave them feedback. And I kind of, I had one last ditch effort conversation with them to say, the next conversation is going to be about you finding a different career. And I don't want that to be the conversation. And so it really is a process of ensuring that that our leadership, we've done everything that we can do to make that person successful. But in the end, if they're not performing, we have to change them. Mm-hmm. And we have to probably move them into another career or another position that fits their their skill set better. Um, and sometimes that means it's not in our company. And sometimes I mean, in a larger company, they might be able to do something else. Support for this podcast comes from Schneider Graphics. Schneider Graphics delivers the combination of premium 3M vinyl, a nationwide network of 3M certified graphic installers, and over 25 years of unmatched customer service in the commercial vehicle wrap industry. It's truly one of the most economical and effective advertising mediums. On average, the cost of a vehicle wrap is only 46 cents for 1,000 impressions. For more information, go to schneidergraphics.com. Welcome back to the show. We're talking with Rebecca Castle, president of SGI, on how to help large residential service businesses, so those hovering around that $20 million mark or so, become more operationally excellent. In the first half of our conversation, Rebecca talked about the importance of strategic planning and setting a long-term vision for your business. She talked about how to manage call center expectations and your technician's time so they avoid burnout. She shared insight into how you should communicate and manage to senior-level management. And she shared so much more. In the second half of our interview, Rebecca will talk further about how to manage internal and external hires at that executive or leadership level. Rebecca will talk about the types of personalities and behavior she looks for when hiring leaders. And she'll address a few more operational questions that we received at our latest expo. More great content is on its way. So let's jump back into our conversation. You know, you mentioned uh, this idea of a lot of these companies they're growing fast or and and you have maybe someone that was really a really successful you know operations manager and you, now you have a, a general you, you feel like you've grown to the level where you need a general manager and and you want to maybe give that person an opportunity to elevate and, and that's just one one management position but in general if you if you have someone that's worked really hard and they've worked their way up but and, and you want to give them an opportunity, but how do you know if someone is right for certain positions versus I, I, I need to hire from outside? I need to bring someone in who has experience, say, as a general manager and can elevate the company because they've done it before. I mean, I feel like it's a delicate balance because you don't want to you don't want to, you know, um, demotivate your team because you, you feel like you put a ceiling on them. So um, are there certain is it just skills you're looking for at that point? Um, I guess how, how do you how do you manage that delicate balance? Well, I think there's an opportunity, uh, especially if someone's working in your company right now and they either either express an interest in becoming a manager or leader or you have identified them as somebody who might have that skill set. And 
the process is going through and looking at the job description and understanding, uh, do they have the experience? Have they displayed the behaviors that I'm looking for? Is there a way to test them without giving them the full responsibility? In other words, uh, if I have a technician who I do believe could come out of the truck and then be a supervisor or manage, you know, other technicians, you know, what things could I do on a day-to-day basis to test that, uh, uh, scenario without basically promoting that person. And then if it doesn't work out, maybe potentially losing a really good technician. So look for, look for opportunities to kind of test the behaviors along the way, maybe have this person lead a project, maybe have this person, um, on board or train a new uh, technician, maybe have this person, uh, be a mentor to another uh, technician, maybe have this person, um, lead some of the training in the morning. So there's all these ways that you can test it. The other thing that is is key before you ever promote someone within inside the company is most employees identify and realize those who are leaders in the company. And so this person that you would promote has to be well-respected and it has to be obvious to the other people around them. Okay. So if I, if I have a technician and he's got an incredible attitude, he helps and mentors other people. He displays the behaviors of a manager and leader that I would want. He also hits his KPIs. I don't have to babysit him to wear, tuck in his shirt and shave and all this kind of stuff that we have. That's probably a good indication that if you continue to develop his uh, managerial skills or his leadership skills, that he probably would be well-respected within the team. And that's really what you have to have is someone has to come in and earn their respect or already have the respect of who they might manage in the future. And I think that's one of the biggest things we overlook is if they're not already well-respected within the team, suddenly giving them a new title isn't going to change that. Right, right. Um, that, that kind of brings something up in my mind. I wanted as a follow up for those that are coming. So, say you know you, you've come across someone, you're like, man, this person would be dynamite in it at a you know a high level leadership position in our company. Um, but I'm going to bring them in, and and um, you know they're the new person. Uh, how do you how do you help someone like that gain respect amongst? Say you've got people that work for you and of a middle management type position for years and years. And now they're looking at this person like, who's this, this fresh face? Well, you know, where have you come from? Is there, I mean, should, if you have a strong enough culture, should that not be an issue or, or is that something you need to be cognizant of when you bring someone in? And, and if so, how do you uh, maybe introduce them or get them uh, inoculated into the, the team so that they, they, they see them as a, as a part of the team and not an outsider? Is there, is there how do you manage those situations? Well, I've seen it done both ways. And I really think it depends on the person and the experience that they bring to the table. If you're bringing in somebody and you have aspirations of them leading and managing people, but they are don't have any experience in our industry, I've seen where people have said, I'm going to put you in these roles and kind of move you around and not announce them as a leader or manager and let them get some experience, let them meet people, let them build relationships let them uh, earn kind of that respect over a period of time, say maybe three to six months. And then I've seen it where the person coming in the door doesn't have any industry experience, but what they have done is so credible and who they're going to be leading um, in, in the type of leader that they are is fine with it. And so I really think it just depends on the situation, the size company that you are and the culture that you have. Um, obviously, 
it's a little easier if you can bring someone in and and kind of foster and develop and, and mentor them through the process. But a lot of times we don't have that luxury. And so we, we have to bring somebody in that can just uh, really be well-respected. And I'll give you an example. Uh, you mentioned Jimmy Dale earlier. Mm-hmm. Jimmy was the general manager for a very long time and then they grew and grew and grew. And he needed to bring someone else in uh, and he hired Bubba Thurman. And Bubba was a uh, a fantastic leader in a very, very large, large mega church here in Dallas. Um, and his whole skill set was connecting with people, speaking, inspiring, motivating leadership. His leadership was amazing, but he didn't have any plumbing, electrical or HVAC background. Right. And that was an example of somebody who came in and instantly connected and inspired and motivated and uh, was just immediately accepted by that culture to where there wasn't this need to kind of bring someone in for six months and kind of foster them through every single department and learn the business. Of course, Bubba had a lot to learn and still had to go through that process. But because of who he was and how he approached his leadership, he was instantly respected and and really valued. Um, And and so I I think it really just depends on the person and exactly what you're going to have them do. Mm-hmm. Is there, you know, Baba has just a, a magnetic personality, uh, but, you know, um, for people that are elevated into that level, that that executive level, um, is there certain personalities that just don't work? I mean, or is it just depend on the person's skill set? And that's what you look at. And any type of personality can can kind of reach that level or, or do you prefer them to be a certain personality type? Yeah, maybe personality. Um type is maybe the wrong descriptor that I would use. Maybe it's just um, the behaviors that I'm looking for. So leadership behaviors are key. And some of us might be more outgoing. Some of us might be better, you know, uh, in front of the group and those types of things. But what I think is really comes back to is the philosophy and the behaviors of that person who's going to be leading people. I've seen leaders like Bubba who are amazing. They can get up in front of a room and they can inspire people and motivate people. But I've also seen other leaders who are more quiet and more reserved. But I think the biggest difference there is the philosophy. Their leadership philosophy is typically of servant leadership. Uh, I care about people. I want the best for people. I care about them more than I care about myself. Um, And I'm there for their success, not for my success. And so I think it's more about the philosophy and the way that you carry yourself as a leader uh, is probably more important than the type of personality that you are. And the the some of those things you can learn to do, like you can learn to be better in front of people. Or you can learn um, maybe to be more inspirational. But what I find is that the leaders that are respected, that keep people to buy in are the ones where their people know that they're cared for. They know that there's opportunity. There's lots of communication. There's open door. There's transparency. There's trust. And all of those things probably could be done regardless of what kind of personality I have. Mm -hmm. Very good. Um, We talked about, uh, we've kind of went from planning into management and that's perfectly fine. And and we talked about how to, how to handle managers that may be struggling, but how do you, how do you coach executive level managers um, so non-struggling time, just what, what is, 
What is your communication with that with that level of uh, of a team member look like? I mean, how, how do you help build them up? Is there anything you need to be doing? I mean, you want to avoid micromanaging, right? But but at the same time, you want them to know you care and you want to try and help them. Or or at that level, should they just be enough of a uh, have enough of a desire to get better and, and learn that, that they, they need to kind of handle it themselves. What, what's your take on that? Well, I do think you need to look for people who are hungry, that are smart, but who are also humble enough to know that they have something to learn. And so I am looking for anybody who's going to lead people and I want them to be ambitious. Mm-hmm. Um, if I have to constantly prod someone along or make all the suggestions or do all the problem solving, that's probably not the right person. I, you know, you need proactive problem solving people. That's our job as managers and leaders is to solve problems and to do it in a way that aligns with the culture of the company in a, in, I keep you know mentioning servant leadership. It could be, you know, all different types of leadership models, but it's gotta be one that is consistent yeah. Um, and so I think that's, that's the biggest thing I can't change and make someone hungry. I can't change their ambition. I can't change their desire. So I need to see that, um, right. the smart part of it, you know, uh, I need someone who can make intelligent decisions and aren't scared to make decisions and aren't scared to make mistakes. Right. Um, but I also need someone that will take ownership of their own development. Yes, I can provide and give them counsel. Um, a lot of my discussions with, executive level management or leaders that um, I've had the opportunity to mentor and coach is what are, what are you trying to achieve? How can I help you? What can you do to help yourself? And then let's follow up on all those action items the next time we get together, because you're right at this level, there needs to be some ownership of them taking charge of their own development. Um, there's books that I've read with, with leaders, uh, my leadership team before there are books that I've suggested to other people based upon behaviors that might be lacking or behaviors that need to improve. Um, so I think coaching managers or leaders is, is a very much one-on-one thing, mm-hmm. but it also, I think is also about finding those people who are hungry, humble, smart. Right. Very good. Very good. Um, just to kind of, this is a bit of a pivot, but it's under the management umbrella. Uh, during this presentation, you talked about a developmental matrix um, can you maybe just explain to people what that is exactly and, and what it does to help owners, leaders of a business do? Yes, it's a matrix that we provide to our members. Um, it's a people matrix and it's it's got nine boxes on it. And basically what you're doing is you're putting and assessing every single person on your team. And obviously, as you get bigger, you'll have to have more than one matrix. But basically on the bottom, it's measuring if they're below expectations, exceed achieving or exceeding expectations. And then on the on the left-hand side axis, it's measuring potential. Mm-hmm. And so what we're looking for is everybody to tr- be in the achieving or exceeding box. But then we need some people who are moving up the matrix and that have potential for growth. Because if we don't, then we're probably going to have to look outside for all of our future managers and leaders. And that's hard to do. Um, Mm -hmm. It would be nice to continue to home grow or hire some people who have the potential to grow. And and grow doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be a manager or leader. You can grow someone and and develop their skill set and they can uh, move on to another role that's not a management or leadership. But this is a matrix that's supposed to help you 
identify how to help people grow, give them the tools, identify the training they might need, identify a mentor that might be able to speak into their career, identify uh, who could be the next leader in the company. Mm-hmm. Now, are, is um, well, first of all, how frequently should that analysis be done? Is that a quarterly thing, an annual thing? It should be quarterly. Um, you start the year with kind of a beginning and an ending org chart, but you know, this is kind of your management assessment tool to say, you know, do we have too many people that are below expectations? Yeah. As a manager, I either need to coach that person up to achieving or mm-hmm. I can't keep them in in the below expectation. So it also is an accountability uh, tool for us so that, hey, 90 days went by and I still have the same person in below expectations. Right. So you know, what do I need to do about that? Either they need to go find maybe a, a different career or I need to provide some additional coaching or maybe I'm not doing my job as a manager to provide the coaching and training necessary. So um, it's basically a review tool uh, that should be used every 90 days. And is that tool, do you have, um, you know, middle level managers do the same thing, say with if, if, uh, you have a, um, a service manager in charge of 10 techs? Is he, is he, should he do that? I mean, it's essentially should this tool work from top to bottom? The yes. Manager? Okay. Yes, I would have everyone do it. Um, everybody who has a team should kind of rate their their team, and, and then what you do is you get together and you talk about it. Um, because what I find is that sometimes managers have rose colored glasses on; they see their team <laughs> different, a different set of eyes, and so there's this good, healthy conversation that says, "Hey, Joe's doing great in this area." area, but over here, this is what happened in the break room the other day, and this was not okay, right? And so there's this ongoing kind of peer uh, review that happens or peer feedback so that we are not just jaded by our own perceptions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good. And then it goes back to those conversations you said you have. Once you realize, well, that person really is under underachieving, right? Then you can have those rate. It reminds you to have those conversations with him or her and, and say, hey, these are the expectations we, we laid out at the beginning of the year. I'm not seeing it, right? I mean, that's that that can prompt that rather than create kind of an explosion effect where you get so sick of a person and then and them not doing what you've asked. It, it's a more constructive way to manage. Absolutely. I mean, our rule is that you can't have a, a team member in below expectations for more than 90 days. And what that means is if they're in that role for more than 90 days and they need to be released, it's really bad in the culture if we just keep people who are not performing in the culture. But if I've done everything that I'm supposed to do and they're still there, then, you know, that that's the accountability piece of it. However, if I'm somebody who didn't address it to your point, which is I see a lot happening and this person was below expectations and the next quarter they're below expectations and I asked one of my managers, did you sit down and have the coaching conversation with them? And they say, no, well, that's on the manager. That's on the person leading that, that individual who's not giving them the feedback, who's not setting the expectations, who's not doing the training and not having kind of that last ditch come to Jesus meeting and saying, Hey, this cannot continue. I care about you. I want you to be successful here. I've trained you. I've set the expectations. You say you want to be here. Well, this, I can't keep doing this. So something has to change here. For sure. And that's, that's the big piece of, of kind of that uh, accountability matrix. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to, to hop over, there were some, some uh, 
operational questions that were were brought up. Uh, just be great to get your insight on them. Um, a member, and this again, this was a large, a very large contractor, asked how frequently should members be increasing their prices? Because I think there's a a concern that, that they'll have kind of a revolt if, if they do it too frequently. And I, at that level, I'm sure there's a lot of moving parts that that are required to, to be managed to, to raise your prices. But um, so how, how frequently should they do that? And then how do you explain it increase to your team so they don't think you're just uh, trying to pull a fast one on, on homeowners? Yeah, there are a couple um, times to, to really look at your pricing. I mean, obviously, we have always suggested that you have an annual price increase for inflationary costs. I mean, things go up every single year. And so that's just a good discipline at the beginning of the January to say, let's look at our our pricing and maybe do an inflationary increase. Mm -hmm. However, more recently, we've seen equipment and material prices go up. Um, we've had shortages uh, in certain industries of, of certain types of things. And so that drives price up. And so there needs to be a discipline to make sure that you're looking at your, your gross margin every single day and every single job. And so it's not just one size fits all. I should only do it this time. You need to increase your prices when you're not getting the margins that you need to be a profitable company. Right. Now, if you're not a profitable company because you're not operationally excellent, yeah. you don't pass it on to the customer. You fix the operational errors, right? But there are just times when it's out of our control. We're doing everything we need to do. And then boom, we get an equipment increase and we try to negotiate it down and Hey, this is this is the price. And so therefore we'll have to do a price increase there. But most of the time, what I see is people are reviewing their gross margin. And as long as their margins are where they need to be, they're they'll do their price increase once a year. Right. How do you communicate that though? To because you know that your average service technician or maintenance technician may not, you know, they may not understand the idea of gross margin. They just they just know what what that top line price is and and Bob and Betty have to pay that. Boy, they, you know, I see they're struggling, but I got to, I got to tell them that this, this, you know, repair they absolutely have to have is going to cost so much more. So how, how do you, from, a, especially with a, an organization that's that large, 20, 30, $40 million, is there, is it a, I mean, a team meeting where you talk about, you just address it, you know, Hey, we're, we're prices are going up and this is why, or, or I, I, how, how do you manage that? I suppose is what I'm trying to ask. And depending on how big you are, it's definitely a, a team meeting. If you've if you've got a lot of text, it may not be a company meeting, but definitely with your team every year, you should talk about the cost of doing business. Uh, it's a training that we have provided our members forever um, on helping a technician understand here's what it costs to get a truck to a home. Here's the breakdown of how every single call, if it's a hundred dollar call, here's how this gets allocated. This how the, you write. And, and I use a hundred dollars cause that's an easy math thing, sure, sure. but you know, taking an actual invoice and breaking it down and depending on how much uh, information you share with them financially. I mean, so I know some companies that share the full PL with your, their team. Um, they may not have an understanding of why you would need to continue to do that. And every employee wants to work for a successful, profitable company because profitable companies don't go out of business. And so it's very important to have those conversations with your team, share with them why you charge what you charge, share with them why there are price increases. They probably don't realize unless you share with them, hey, equipment just went up. Hey, uh, this 
particular type of part just, you know, increased by X amount. You know, insurance, insurance over the last five years has just gone crazy. And so if you're not explaining those things and communicating, goes back to that consistent communication, your team might just go, wow, they keep raising prices, they keep raising prices, right? And then let them know, hey, built in every single year, it's a business discipline that we do because things, the cost, the cost, you know, just like people are looking for cost of living increases to their pay. Well, that's what this is as well, is that we'll have to continue, depends on what's going on with fuel and depends on, you know, there's all these factors that go into how we price. And the more that you can communicate why we charge what we charge with your team, the better. And I would suggest at least doing it once a year in your onboarding process. I know that many companies do that as soon as the technician is hired and say, look, this is why we have to charge what we charge. And let me walk you through an invoice here. Yeah. No, I was going to say, I remember when we built the onboarding program, that was a big thing. So people can hopefully understand, if, if, especially if you come from outside the industry and you've never really thought about it at all. This is this is why uh, we charge what we charge. And at the end, you're, you you know you hope to get you know 15 or 20 percent net profit, but it's not like the owner's putting it all all in his or her pocket. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of things that need to be paid for. So um, very good. Um, another member had asked, uh, what should a follow up system look like? Uh, for say an unsold HVAC or roofing replacement lead. So I, I go out, um, you know, I give, I, I do the presentation and I, I give three options and I don't, I don't sell it. And then, so what happens to that lead? Uh, what's the best practice on how to hopefully try to resurrect it and, and you don't lose it to a competitor? Well, it's, it's real easy to overlook um, work that we did not get, mm-hmm. uh, especially when it's busy or the demand is high. So if it's really, really hot outside, I just go on to the next customer, don't really think about it. But the best practices on everything that's not sold, uh, if you're going out on a, on a replacement lead for HVAC or plumbing or wh- whatever industry it is, is there is a follow-up process. And it, it typically, in every company, there's a defined uh, time window where it, it doesn't become that salesperson's lead any longer. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've heard it be two weeks. I've heard it be a week. In other words, if they can't close it in a week, a manager is stepping in and calling the customer and just asking some probing questions to try to understand, did they move forward? If they did move forward, you know, what was the reason why they decided not to go with our company? If they didn't move forward, what's the reason? You know, there's oftentimes where people just say, I'm not ready and, you know, put me down in a couple of weeks and call me back and let me know. And so um, I think the timing of that is is very important. So first of all, establish a time frame of when the lead is no longer the salesperson's lead. Yep. And then second of all, establish the person who's actually going to follow up mm-hmm. and then have the discipline of, of really scheduling that and following up and then documenting and see a lot of the feedback that you get from the customer determines the kind of coaching and training that needs to happen for that salesperson or you know that project manager who was out on that particular job. If it's a plumbing or electrical service uh, call where the customer didn't move forward with a repair or uh, they decided to do something else, um, there there should be a debrief with the technician after every call. And then at that point in time, you'll know, hey, was this a zero ticket or was this a diagnostic fee only? And then being able to call the customer and probe a bit and just understand what happened on that call. Um, 
you know, is it, is it price? Is it, they didn't like the technician? Is it, there's something else that's the problem um, to see if we can save. And it, it, we call this the gold dust in, in the company. Right. Again, it's a lot easier to just to kind of move on to the next call. But if you really think about it, you paid for that call, you had a marketing cost associated with with getting that customer. You have a technician out there. If there's something we can do to kind of flip that into a revenue generating opportunity, that's always better. And it really is just the daily discipline of tracking it and then having someone who's responsible to follow up and talk to the customer. It's typically... I mean, I hear people saying, oh, I sent a direct mail piece or a postcard to the customer after the fact. You know, it's typically a better one-on-one, more urgent conversation. That is key. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for all your time. We're, we're hitting, hitting an hour here, so I, I want to be mindful of your time. So I just have one last question for you. So, um, you know, we're, we're in a new year. It's a new fiscal year for most companies. What are some things owners, leaders of these large businesses should be focusing on at this point? So the plan's in place. Now, 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 what should they be doing? So getting the plan in place for the year is critical. There's a lot of longer term things um, that take strategic planning as well. And they may not be something that we talk about a lot. One of them is cash management, investments, um, you know, but also building uh, what you're doing to, you know, with your building long term or where your facilities are. Um, also I think people management and, and looking at that next hire for key management or leadership is also critical for these larger companies mm-hmm. in the current environment in which we're at, I think financing is going to get tough and having a solution, uh, for those that might want to do business with you, but can't get financing, I think is, a, is a critical thing. So it's, it's really kind of more that long-term how do we execute and keep our strengths? What are our weaknesses and the things that we need to continue to prove upon? Are there any opportunities in the market today? And uh, what are the threats and how do I minimize anything that I might be exposed to? Right. So as the owner, you're setting your own maybe five or six priorities for each quarter to, to keep yourself focused. These are the things I need to do to, to grow this business. Absolutely. I guess there's, but who, who keeps you accountable? I guess that's the benefit of groups like this, right? Being that work with other large contractors, maybe, and and having those uh, profit platoons or, uh, you know, mind share groups that, 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 that's kind of beneficial in that way. Absolutely. I mean, we, 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 as business owners, it, it can be lonely at the top, but an organization like success group international has many opportunities to either network with people, your size, get on what's something we call a tag call, which is basically uh, an accountability call that we do for you. Um, and then obviously getting engaged with with fellow members to brainstorm and, and to you know bounce ideas off of each other. But then we've had people say, hey, this guy holds me accountable here. So it's a, it's a good uh, good opportunity to be in it with other people who are doing the exact same things you are. Right, right. Well, awesome. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for all your time and insight. Um, you know, I, I liked the round robin style questioning, and, and I think we're going to be doing more of that because it lets people, uh, um, you know, bring up their their individual questions. They'd be too shy to ask normally. So um, I'm glad that we were able to address some of those today and look forward to doing this in the future. So thank you so much. Thanks, Bob, for having me. All right. Have a great day. You too. That's Rebecca Castle, president of Success Group International. Thanks for listening to the show. 
If you feel like you have a great story worth sharing that would also help other contractors, email me at bhouchin at yoursgi.com. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a rating. And remember, friends give fives. You've been listening to the Successful Contractor Podcast, powered by Success Group International. The Successful Contractor Podcast is a part of the Success Group International family. SGI is the largest member-owned best practices organization for independent residential services contractors. SGI provides its members a competitive edge through proven proprietary management tools and expertise, marketing programs, training, and group buying power, along with a highly active and eager-to-help membership. For more information about Success Group International, visit www.yoursgi.com. The Successful Contractor Podcast is a production of the Aquila Investment Group, LLC, All Rights Reserved, 2021.